Hey guys, Pastor Jürgen here. I'm so glad you're tuning into one of our powerful messages that is guaranteed to absolutely elevate your life to another level. At Awaken, we only want to preach fresh, real, powerful to help you grow stronger in your walk with God, develop your faith so you can take more territory. I'm praying that God blesses you and enriches your soul as you listen to this amazing word from God. God bless you. Been here the past couple of weeks as a part of our freedom series. Yeah, you guys going through all these amazing messages. Who was here for Mike Connell on that freedom? Wasn't that amazing? Did anyone in here get some freedom in the past couple of weeks? Is there anyone in here who still has demons? Oh no, no, stop, stop poking your neighbor. I, I have a rule that if someone comes up to me and says so and so has a demon, I say let's start with you. So, you know, you know, it's okay, I can see what you're doing here. But it's been amazing. We've had an amazing couple of weeks and sermons and sessions where we've just really gone big after freedom, right? Freedom from, from amazing things, you know, freedom from things like addiction and trauma and anxiety and fear and rejection, all the hurts and the pains we've experienced throughout our life. And freedom is a beautiful thing. It is one of the marks of, of the kingdom. Whenever Jesus did deliverance, he said, the kingdom of God has just come. And we learned about that. And it's been so cool that we've come into this place where we're getting free of the bondages and the things that have held us back for every, any amount of time, whether it was obvious or whether it was hidden. And it was so cool because we, we go through this. We're learning how to get freedom. We're getting freedom. And then we're learning how to sustain freedom, right? Last week with Pastor Michaela Hubbard, and we're talking about how do you keep your freedom and, and a lot of the times, what, what happens is we, we come to the church. We recognize that we need freedom, or we already know we need it. We get that freedom. Yep. We learn a couple tools to keep that freedom. And then what? See, a lot of us want to treat the church, the kingdom, the, 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 our moments, our freedom, like urgent care. We go in, oh, God, I have an amazingly large need, and I heard that you're a good doctor, you're a good physician, can I come in and get some freedom? Awesome, Jesus is good. He patches me up and he sends me out the door with my bill. And what do you do? We just, we figure, well, I'm free. I can just go back to life now, right? Why not, why not just go back to life as is? Now I'm gonna go live that life with a, a, a little less anxiety. And it's just, it just is what it is. Like, thank you, church. Back to life as normal. And you have to ask, is that, was that what it was meant to be? Is the church really... Meant to be urgent care, an emergency room hospital. They process us through, we get us healed, but I don't care what happens next. That doesn't sound right. I'm pretty sure that my God is looking to expand his family. He's looking to adopt us and bring us in and call us heirs and sons and daughters. He's looking to extend the kingdom and he needs people who can steward heaven with him. I'm pretty sure God's not just looking to get people free. He's looking to take free people and use them to do something. So we are set free for a purpose. It is for liberty that Christ has set us free. So in Romans 7, 6, it says, For now we have been released from the law, for we died to it and are no longer captive to its power. Now that's an important thing. When we read the law in the Old Testament, there were a set of rules and guidelines that God laid out that we could live holy and perfect and righteous lives. We were never meant to fulfill it. It's impossible. 
for us to fulfill the law. But the problem is, it's a law. When you break a law, there are consequences, whether you mean to or you don't. Whether you were going 70 in a 35 or you accidentally rolled through a yellow light that became red. No matter what, if you break that law, there's a consequence. And the wages of sin are death. And so the, the, the law enslaves us because none of us were going to get it right, but all of us have to reap the consequences of getting it wrong. So Jesus takes away the reproach of the law. When we come, be, are born again in Jesus, we are dead to the law, which means it, we're no longer captive to its power. Freedom comes when the law is fulfilled, when our consequence is fulfilled on our behalf. So this verse, but now we have been released from the law, are no longer captive to its power. Yay, freedom, healing. This is what we've been doing the past couple of weeks. Now we can serve God. Not in the old way of obeying the letter of the law, but in the new way of living in the spirit. So the calling of freedom isn't, ta-da, you're free. Go do what you want to do. The calling of God is you are now free to serve God, but in a real capacity, in a spirit-filled, grace-filled, important, significant capacity. But when we think that the church is just urgent care, we're coming in for our healing, and I want to go right back to the same plans, purposes, and circumstances that I came from, just with a modicum of freedom. And that, this is how we treat it. So Romans, Romans 12.1 keeps going. And so, dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you, give your bodies to God because of all he has done for you. Let them be a living, holy sacrifice, the kind he will find acceptable. This is truly the way to worship him. We think we come up and we sing a song, we call that worship. He's asking for your life. And a lot of us think about this a little improperly. Oh, God wants my whole life. I don't... I don't know, what if he asked me to go shave my head and be a monk and make awesome beer? Okay, there's some, some merit to that. Or what if he wants me to sell everything and move my family to Malaysia or Indonesia and be a missionary for the rest of my life? A lot of us fear this, what does it mean to follow God? What do I really, I mean, living sacrifice? Do, do I really want what comes with this? But the reality is, God is good. And the plans that he has for us are a perfect fit for us. We don't always think about that. Very often, there are people who are called to do radical things. And when they get there, they find it's actually exactly what they were built for. The people who are, there are people who go on missions that weren't called to missions. It's their misinterpretation of living a God-filled life. And they actually live very, very sad, very upset at God, very dejected. There's no joy in their life. There's no power. But if God does call you to it, I have never seen people more alive than people are in their calling. It doesn't matter what the calling is. The question is, did you fall into the calling God has for you? And do you fear God's calling? Yeah. Wow. What kind of a God is he? Uh-oh, I, I really don't want to ask him what he has for me because he may send me to do something completely I don't want to do. Now, in your current context and frame of mind, you may not think it's what you prefer, but if God sends you to it, it has everything you desire. Yeah. The reality is we were born with desires. You know, we, we, we think the things that God has for me, we have all these promises over our life and these dreams and desires, but some of them come at us prophetically. Like, we, we just know that this is what God has for me in life. But then there's the things we don't always associate with God. When you're a little kid and you say, I want to be married someday. I want to have kids someday. 
I want to be prosperous someday. I, I want to have friends someday. I want to feel significant someday. Yeah, guess what? Those are dreams and desires God put in you. They are healthy, which means they're of God. Even if you didn't know he's put in I just assume this was me thinking what I want. But if it's healthy, it's from God. And our whole life, we have these dreams and these desires and these things that we're living towards. And the fullness of God is to unleash those things over us. And so when we sacrifice our lives and we submit to him, when we use our freedom to step back into him, to serve him, he takes those dreams and desires and he says, now I can do something with these. See, we don't recognize, we want the, the promises of God without the obedience and the responsibility to serve him with our freedom. It doesn't work that way. Look, Hebrews eleven six says, it is impossible to please God without faith. Anyone who wants to come to him must believe that God exists. That's probably a good start. Wow, quiet room. <laughs> okay, so if we're gonna please God, we probably have to believe he's real. Let's start with that. And he rewards those who sincerely seek him. It's impossible to please God without faith. The next line says, do you believe that he rewards those who seek him? Wow. It is impossible to please God without believing he wants to reward you. Yeah. That's good. It, is, it is impossible to please God without believing that he rewards those who seek him, who sincerely seek him, who set their lives in my freedom. I will serve God and, he, and I will believe that it comes with rewards and not just any rewards, the rewards of the fulfillment of every dream, desire, and promise spoken over our life. Yeah. It's found in serving him, not just waiting upon him. Yeah. Does that make sense? And so, so when we think about th this world that God's putting together, we, we have to wonder, okay, so there's these rewards, there's these promises, there's these dreams, there's these desires. And I have to live in tension with the idea that, but I've also spent so much time in bondage, having delays, disappointments, things not going my way, they, everything, you know, I, I, God, I, I once had this dream, but, you know, I'm now in my 40s and unmarried. I once had this dream, but I've had 14 failed businesses and nothing's coming together. God, I once had this dream. How are the rewards supposed to come in? And one of the things that ends up happening is we say, okay, I love that I have my freedom, that God has given me freedom, but what's left for me? Because of what I walked through, is there anything on the other side? And we ask this of ourselves all the time. And this is important to understand. I, I got my freedom, you know, at a certain point in my walk with God. And it took, for me, it took years to figure out the promises. I, I was willing to walk in, oh my gosh, God, you saved me out of so many things. Let's just camp there for a while. I don't know if you mean to give me more than that. The freedom was enough. And it took me years to figure out whoa, my freedom is meant for something. It's meant to serve God. And it's meant that he be glorified in the fulfilling of my promises. And so I actually had to ask this question. Do, do my promises ever expire because of what I've got through? Because of how long it took or what I'm walking through that isn't free or how long it took to get freedom, do the promises endure? Okay, today's, today's message is called the eternal shelf life of God's promises. We're gonna talk about this through a story, the story of Lazarus. Everyone knows Lazarus. We sang about him in the song just before I came on stage. I hope everyone knows Lazarus. 
You ready for this? In John chapter 11, we're gonna skim through the entire chapter, but it'll, it'll be worth it. So John 11, one, starting in verse one. Now a certain man was sick, Lazarus of Bethany, the town of Mary and her sister Martha. It was Mary who had anointed Lord with fragrant oil and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was sick. Therefore her sisters sent to him, saying, or therefore the sisters sent him, saying, Lord, behold, he whom you love is sick. When Jesus heard that, he said, oh, no, 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 this sickness is not unto death, but for the glory of God, that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that he was sick, he stayed two more days in the place that he was. <laughs> He's sick. I got time. Yeah. It did, Jesus. And it, by the time Jesus got back, it had been four days. So, so now Jesus is getting word, all right, we've done what we need to here. Let's go check on Lazarus. And in John eleven twenty one, it picks up and says, now Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now, I know that whatever you ask of God, God will give you. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. In other words, look, I know he's in heaven. He's healed in heaven. I, I get it. And Jesus says to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he may die, he shall live. And whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? It's interesting how we're starting to shape up in this story. You know, Jesus even gives us context. He who believes in me, though he may die, he shall live. And whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. And here, Lazarus is dead. That wasn't one of the options Jesus gave. If you die, you shall live. And if you live, you shall not die. And Lazarus is dead. So it's in this context. The story goes on and Jesus uh, talks to the other sister, Mary, and he goes to the, the morning party. I don't know why they call it a party. Literally in Jewish culture, it is a custom for the, the women and the widows to wail loudly at funerals. Like you will walk, I've seen this in my family, like you go to a funeral and there are literally women there who are sent from the synagogue to wail and it is annoying. <laughs> and if you try to bring any New Testament life to that, you might, you might get a Nana slap. Um, not saying one way or the other, but those are the, that's the culture. So Jesus is seeing this. And in verse 38, it says, then Jesus, again, groaning in himself. Because what did he say in the beginning? The sickness is not unto death. You will see the glory of God in this. So he's groaning. And he comes to the tomb and says, it was a cave and a stone lay against it. Jesus said, take away the stone. Martha, the sister of whom he was dead, said to him, Lord, by this time there's a stench. For he has been dead for four days. Jesus said to her, did I not say to you that if you would believe, you would see the glory of God? Then they took away the stone from the place where the dead man was lying. And Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. And I know that you always hear me, but because of these people, 
who are standing by, I said this, that they may believe that you sent me. Now, when he had said these things, he cried with a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. And he who had died came out bound hand and foot with grave clothes, and his face was wrapped in a cloth. Jesus said to them, loose him and let him go. So it's interesting that the story itself is, is a great depiction of ministry and, and deliverance on its whole. Jesus says, I am resurrection and life. He releases a word that brings life into Lazarus. But then he says, you go untie him. When we are setting people free, when we are doing freedom or deliverance or anything, it is on Jesus' power and his word that people are set free, but Jesus is waiting for us to untie each other. We need each other to be set free. The devil will try to use shame to hide us. He'll hide our bondage because we actually rely on each other so often to set each other free. So you lose him, but then he says, and let him go. The final calling was for Lazarus to go, to resume whatever promises God had over him. Isn't that interesting? You know, you know I, I, had this, I was literally thinking about this during the last preach, last session when I was preaching this. That, you know, a lot of times people in the Bible would come up to Jesus and he would do these amazing miracles. And they say, God, I, I want to give up everything and follow you. And most of the time he said, no. I need you to go back into your sphere of influence and carry this new life with you. In fact, the people that Jesus allowed to follow him were the ones that Jesus said, you come follow me. The people who said, Jesus, I wanna give up all for you were often not allowed to. And the people that Jesus called were the ones that he asked them to give it all up. You have to be careful about what God is calling you to do. Like I said, it's very easy to misinterpret. I'm supposed to go be a pastor. I'm supposed to go be a missionary. I'm supposed to go do all these things because it sounds holy. But if God hasn't spoken it, that ain't your promise. There's, there's not going to be the grace on that. And so it's the same thing with Lazarus. It's, hey, I need, you, I need you to go. I have an assignment for you that's still valid, that hasn't expired. And what's significant about this story is the chain of events, right? You have, you have Martha who, who says, Jesus, my brother, your friend whom you love, he's dying. You need to get here while he's sick. And Jesus says, hey, don't worry. This won't end in death. Did he die? Yes. Did it end in death? No. And he says that the God may be glorified and the son of God glorified in him. And he comes back and she says, what, what's taking you so long? Like, I... I, I believe that you could heal the sick and now he's dead. I believe you can heal the sick. I don't know if you can heal the dead. See, very often we look at our dreams, we look at our callings, we look at our promises and we say, God, I believe you to a point. Hey, my life is going a certain direction. In my mind, there is still time and there's still opportunity for this thing to be fulfilled. And sometimes death occurs on that thing. The door shuts. Lazarus dies. And we say, ah, 
Jesus, you promised. He's been dead for four days. If you would have been here, I've been praying to you. I raised a prayer and you delayed. You delayed. You knew. I sent word. I prayed, God, that you would come intervene before this door fully closes. And Jesus said, this will not end in death. That there may be glory. You start to understand, what's, what's a greater miracle? What glorifies God greater? That Jesus can heal the sick or that he can raise the dead. Now, don't get me wrong. I'd rather not be Lazarus and be the example of this parable. But Lazarus didn't stay dead. So what Jesus is trying to say is, we, we all do this. We look at the promises over our life and we say, okay, still a window, still a window, still a window. The window's closed. And we die with the promise. When that door shuts, the promise dies with us. But Jesus says, I'm the resurrection. I am the life. Did I not say that if you would believe, you would see the glory of God? But like Martha, we limit. We go through our seasons of bondage, of pain, of trauma, of disappointment, of delay. And it's like we see the window of God's opportunity closing Close. And our prayers get harder. Our prayers get deeper. Ah, 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 ah. And then the door closes. And we say, it's dead. Right. Remember, Jesus spoke to Martha many times. This will not end in death. I will be glorified. I end the resurrection and the life. And when it finally comes time, when Jesus shows up and he says, roll away the stone, Martha says, surely there's a stench. Lord, the by this time, there's a stench for he's been dead four days. What is she saying? Wow. Why bother? Do you think she's expecting that her brother to be alive when that stone's rolled away? No. Because the promise died when Lazarus died. But Jesus isn't limited by death. Really? I've spent so much time in bondage. Look, I was, I was doing just fine. And then I fell into this. I, I fell into addiction. I made some bad choices. I had 14 businesses that failed. Can, there went my chance. That was the last one. I think this promise is dead. Let's start living elsewhere. I, I you know, whether I, I got, you know, I got divorced early or I've just never been married and I'm approaching the older years and God, my, my, my window's closing. My window's closing well, maybe I'll settle. Okay, hey, hey, maybe, maybe what I really need is like, God, all right, I don't, I don't need the full promise of a family that I've always had. It's, I'll just settle for that. Or I just, I'm not gonna stop wishing for it anymore. And what you find is you have these seasons and these patterns where all the delay, all the disappointments, we get free, but because of the journey we had to walk in bondage, we started declaring death over the promise because there was death in the circumstance. You guys tracking with me? But here's the thing. Lazarus came back to life. He's alive. It, Jesus was right. It did not end in death. And though he may die, he will live. And those who live believing will not die. This is more than just about our 
bodies and our spirit. This is about our callings, our identity, and our purposes. Look, Lamentations 2.17 says, The Lord has done what he purposed. He has fulfilled his word, which he commanded in days of old. God has no intention, no intention to throw away your purposes and callings. Every word he sets forth, he intends to fulfill. Look, God does not throw things away. He doesn't throw people away. This is actually an issue a lot in, in religious circles of which we, we aspire to not be one, but let me know if you've heard this before. That person in the back, that homeless person, drug addict, whatever, they, they look disheveled, they come into the church, and, and most people will say, ew, yuck. But certain churches get to a place where they say, oh, Amen. Let God's glory come and define this person, right? And that person comes in the back and they're welcome and they get saved. And then we say, cool, please stay in the back. You, I'm glad you're free. We've done our job. But serving, leading, preaching, prophesying into you that your life will actually be a fulfillment of, of things equal to my dreams. Whoa, 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 whoa. The religiousness in me says... Hold on, like the prodigal son, like the older brother. I did everything right. How come he gets a party? And the religiousness in us says, oh, God doesn't throw people away. Well, he does throw away their callings. We can disqualify ourselves, right? We can go through these things where we have to remember God does not throw people away, nor does he throw away promises. And no matter what you've gone through, whether you were like the older brother of the prodigal who did everything right or the younger who blew it all and did everything wrong, the promise is still valid in either case. It never expires. It never, ever expires. God's words do not fail. In fact, the way I see this is when we have the promises over our life, whether we know them from our youth to be these desires, these healthy desires, or God actually has released words over our life, the things that we know to be true. This is where my life is heading while I live, before I leave this earth. Seasons will come at us, whether by our own fault or by external circumstances. But something happens in our world where we are not in a place to occupy that promise right now. Whether something happened to me and I'm in too much pain and too much brokenness, or I did something and I gotta get healed and healthy. When those moments come, God takes the promise and he dusts it off, polishes it, and puts it on a shelf and said, this thing will remain here unchanged until the moment of release. When the freedom comes, when the moment is here, whether or not it's your fault or not, when you become truly free, God is waiting to return your promises to you. He's waiting to return your promises to you. And God is outside of time. So we count down on the clock and say, that was a nice little 40-year detour, God. I don't really know that the same promise still stands. But God's outside of time. And God can quicken a thing. God can say, I know this has been on the shelf, but I've kept it safe for you. I've, he's never thrown away a promise over your life. He keeps it on the shelf to the point of our freedom where he can give it back to us and it will be in safe hands. But then he says, don't compromise it. I can accelerate a thing to you. Do you know how many stories I've seen of people in faith, in belief for God's rewards 
that something has been outside of their, their realm for so long and they're finally in a place of freedom, they're willing to believe for the promise again and all of a sudden, not only does the promise come, it's as if the lost time never existed. God takes away the pain of our lost time. He takes away the hurts of our, our disappointment and our delay. I've seen people who've gone through so much and let's say, you know, you, you get married later in life and all of a sudden everything's quickened to you. It's not like, well, let's just enjoy the last couple of years. It's, oh my gosh, there's so much life on this. Or the business. God, I'm sewing, I'm sewing, I'm sewing, I'm doing all these things. And then one day there's the breakthrough and you're like, uh, it's so easy to be in regret. I wish this would have happened 15 years ago. But when you recognize it and you have the faith for what God's gonna do, regret goes out the door because God will quicken to you the fullness of that promise. You don't have to worry about... You see this a lot with people, like healthy people who get saved and set free. The first comment is, I wish I'd have known this earlier. And that's the last time they ever say it. They never bring that up again because they are living in the fullness now. God has quickened to them the lost time. So don't worry about the door of death closing. God can open it. He is the resurrection. And don't worry about how much time is remaining because when that thing is sitting on a shelf, that promise is sitting on a shelf, it is not decaying. Yeah. Right. He keeps it sharp. He keeps it polished. It is ready to provide the fullness of everything that it has for you. Are you with me on this? Let's, let's read a couple stories from the Bible. Jeremiah 29. We all know verse 11. We typically don't read the verses around it. So let me do that for you. We all know Jeremiah 29, 11, right? I know the thoughts I think towards you, says the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil to give you a future and a hope. And we go, oh my God, he's so amazing. <laughs> okay, Jeremiah 29, 10. For thus says the Lord, after 70 years are completed at Babylon, I will visit you and perform my good works towards you and cause you to return to this place. For I know the thoughts that I think towards you, says the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you a future and a hope. So what's happening here? God had sent prophet after prophet, word after word, generation after generation to the, to the Israelites saying, hey, you're starting to veer from me. You're starting to worship other things. You're starting to believe a little too much in yourselves or the world. If you want it so badly, I'm gonna give, a, I'm gonna give you over to it. I'm gonna let you have the things that you're seeking, and we'll see how you feel. And he basically says, you're going on a 70-year timeout. <laughs> now look, my kids have upset me sometimes, but 70 years <laughs> might not be the worst idea. It's biblical. <laughs> so, so God is actually giving them over to the, to the things that they're desiring. Yeah. And he says, okay, for 70 years, you're gonna go into captivity. I'm going to allow this to happen because I want you to taste what you think is delicious, what you think is sweet, and see how sour it is. It's not, it's not a punish, a good parenting is not just punishing for punishment's sake. It's that the kids can reflect and realize what they actually have. And that's what God's doing. He's sending them away. 70 years, he says, build houses, get jobs, honor the people who are the captors over you. Just get used to it. But I want you to know I have good plans for you. I have good thoughts for you. All these things carry. Not a single ounce of my promise towards you, nation of Israel, will fall. When 70 years are up and I come to get you, you're gonna pick up right where you left off. That's the promise of Jeremiah 29. 
that despite what bondage we endure, when freedom, when we are released from captivity, when we are back in freedom, it all picks up again. How about Caleb? Caleb from the book of Joshua, right? The 12 spies from Egypt going into the promised land. And Caleb and Joshua are the two who say, this is pretty sweet. We can do this. They are seeing the promise and they're saying, I know my God, I want it. And because the 10 other spies poisoned the thoughts of 1.2 million people, they weren't allowed to take the promised land. In fact, 45 years. And if I was Caleb, I'd be sitting back arms crossed at every other Jew in that camp saying, this is your fault. You are keeping me from my inheritance. You're keeping me from my blessing. It wasn't even his fault. It wasn't even Caleb's fault that he had to go on delay. But when the time came and Israel was finally liberated to take the promised land, it says Caleb was kept as strong as he was at the time of the promise. It wasn't like he's, he's with his walker. You giants, I'll take you down. He was as strong at 85 as he was at 40. God did not remove an ounce of potency. And he got his promise. Because the land he wanted was the land filled with giants. At 40 years old, he said, I want the land that the giants live on. And at 85, he was still strong enough to take the land that the giants were on. God can quicken a thing. He can accelerate a thing. Promises don't expire. Even King David. David, who had more promises and covenants with God than probably anyone else in the Bible. The line of the Messiah of Jesus was supposed to run through him. And David had a, had a rocky start. Then he was a good king. And then we know what happened. He had the time when the kings go out to war. He didn't. He stayed home. He committed adultery, got a girl pregnant, had her husband killed. Normal stuff. And most of us, most of us would say, whoa, 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 whoa. I think we need a new lineage for Jesus to come through. That's awfully disqualifying. The guy's doing, oh, he was doing so good. And then he fell from grace. Guess that promise is null and void. Guess that has died. But what happened? He found freedom. He found repentance. And God picked him back up and carried on the story. The lion of Jesus still comes through David. Not only that, the Bible says God makes all things work together for good. It, look, not everything we do is plan A. Just because things work together for good doesn't mean you're excused for your bad choices in the beginning. God will make everything for good. He'd prefer to make plan A for good, but he'll take plan B, plan C. He'll turn any situation for good when we return to him. And so get this, not only did David fall from grace in a, in a way so disqualifying, we would have said that's the end of that dream. The lineage of Jesus came through Solomon, the second child of the adulteress. God used the very sin, the very fall, the very thing that David did to fall from grace with Bathsheba. And it was that very same thing that produced Solomon that became the lineage of Jesus. So not only did God say, you're not disqualified, he said, I'm gonna make this for exponential good even beyond what it otherwise would have been. But what happens? We get 
get set free. And we come into the house, we find ourselves in Christ. We, we get a degree of freedom and we say, oh God, thank you for this freedom. But the delays, the disappointments, thank you for healing me, doctor. Not sure what else I can get from you. What the devil does is he twists all those and he says, okay, fine, 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 fine. I'll try to keep you from getting set free. But if, I can, if you're gonna get set free, let's at least not make it for a purpose. Let's send you back the way you came. Let's see Lazarus die. Yeah, Lazarus is dead. It's too late. So the devil twists and he says, Jesus, okay, he's good enough to set you free, but is he really good enough to restore you? to set you back on course, to set you as a son or a daughter of the Most High, to set you as one to fulfill every promise over your life? I don't know. And what often we find, the final freedom we need after getting set free is the freedom from unbelief. The devil takes all the disappointments, all the doubts, and he says, okay, Jesus can do a little bit, but can he do all of it? We start to come into agreement. No, you're right. I don't know if Jesus can do all of it. I don't know if he can set my dreams, my desires, my purposes, my callings back in motion. And then we start to treat Jesus as a version of him that's not full. It's, it's We're partially worshiping Jesus. There, there's a verse in Mark where a man comes up to Jesus for healing on his daughter. And it says, immediately the father of the child cried out and said with tears, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. How can you believe and not believe at the same time? See, he's saying, Jesus, I know that you are a good healer, but I'm struggling to believe that you'll do that for me. See, the devil twists and turns and we can get to a level of freedom, but the final thing we need freedom from is the unbelief of the devil twisting and saying, okay, Jesus was good enough to set you free, but he's got nothing else for you. Lazarus is dead. Your dreams have died. You took too long. You took the wrong turn. Things just aren't going the right way. Give up. There's not enough time left. And the devil gets us to agree with this unbelief that you're right. You're right. Jesus can't do that. And can I tell you something? When we believe that Jesus can't do a thing that he can, we are worshiping a, a version of Jesus that is not truly him. That, that's idolatry. Why is unbelief so dangerous? It's not just, oh, you of little faith, go work on your faith. Which Jesus are you worshiping? Is your Jesus resurrection and life? Or is he, I healed you. Do you really want more? Do you really deserve more? Is there really anything left for you? Who is the Jesus that we look to. Well, as the story of Lazarus shows, and as, as we go through all of this, the Jesus that I know is resurrection and he's life. And there are things that, whether we're looking to get free and we need an anchor for it, or we just got free and we don't know what to do next. The greatest thing we can do, the last burden we must climb is, Jesus, I believe, but help my unbelief. We have to break unbelief. So here's the thing, I want everyone to stand up.
If you're in here today and unbelief has taken hold of any area of your life because of what you've gone through, because of what's happened, because of what's happened to you, because of things that you've done, if there is any area of your life that you are struggling to believe that the promise still stands, I want you to come forward, come forward to the altar. If unbelief has gripped any aspect of your life and you realize, God, I struggle to believe, help me with this unbelief, I want you to come forward. Come on. your eyes. And whether you're up front or not, but especially to those who are up front, I want you to repeat after me. Jesus, I believe that you are resurrection and life. I thank you that you have brought me back to life, but you also resurrect my dreams my hopes, my callings. In the name of Jesus, I break unbelief over my life. I believe today that you are resurrecting every good thing that you have for me. I give it to you in Jesus' name. Come on, I want you guys just to soak for a second sit in that. I want you to let Jesus speak to you right now and breathe life. Let him breathe life. Let him breathe life. Death is not the end. Death is not the end. It's not the end. He can quicken it. He can quicken it. He's quickening. For some of you, he's speaking a word of quickening. He says, do not worry about the when. Know that it's coming and it will have everything in it. No regrets, no regrets, no regrets for the journey that you've taken, but rather the celebration, the celebration of what's to come. Look, there are some of you in here, you're hearing of these promises and you're saying, I, God, I just want a promise from you in general. I don't, I don't even know if I have promises from you. There are some of you in here who may not even know the God who is resurrection and alive. If you're in here this morning and you need, you needed to hear this, you need to know that God has dreams for you and you've never, you've never given your freedom to God. Today is a good morning to, to get free and let God tell you who you are. If you're in here this morning and you're not sure if you're walking with God and His promises are over you, Make a decision now. You know what, today, I'm gonna follow this Jesus. I'm gonna give him my disappointment and I'm gonna receive his promises. If you have never walked with Jesus before and today you're ready, I just want you just to raise your hand, reach out to him and say, Jesus, I, I wanna walk with you. I'm ready to walk with you. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. Yeah, we choose you, God. You, only you, only you contain a life and I want that life. And so I will give my life as a living sacrifice to follow you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Wow. What an amazing word. I hope you enjoyed that as much as I did. Hey, listen. 
For more information about our church, go to www.awakenchurch.com or subscribe to our YouTube channel if you haven't already and download our app. It is amazing. It is chock full of incredible messages, information about upcoming events, and you can even support our ministry if you feel so inclined. We loved having you with us today. We look forward to seeing you again. God bless you. Live a life that is transformative. Bye for now.